This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Plenty to talk about today. Lavelle E. Neal III, Star Tribune columnist, joins me in just a little bit. We're going to talk about cheating in baseball, why it seems to become part of that sports culture over time. It's not just the the modern, you know, not just the the current scandal right now with the you know, with the with the pitchers doctoring up the baseballs. Before that, it was the sign stealing. Before that, it was steroids. It's been any number of things over the number of years. Why is that? We'll get into little Josh Donaldson versus Garrett Cole. We'll get into a column Lavelle's got coming up too. But first, what did I miss? Well, you guys, I'm going to let you in on kind of how the sausage is made, so to speak, how this podcast normally comes together I do oftentimes I do the the interview for this podcast. You know, a lot, a lot of times there's a longer interview segment. Typically, that's done in advance. It's not done day of. Usually, it's a day before. You know, hopefully something that stands the test of time. Something that's uh, you know not going to change in the next you know 12 to 24 hours. The rest of it I usually do the morning before I post the the morning before I post the podcast, which is pretty early. I try to get the podcast live by about 7.30 a.m. so that it's got a long shelf life. It's a daily podcast, right? I want as many people to listen as possible during the course of the day. I know some of you, bless you, go back and listen to them. Um, I, I know that for a fact. Uh, you've told me that. I can see that with the numbers, so I, I, I appreciate that. But you know, by and large, it's a daily podcast. Most of the people who are listening are going to you know, come in for that first 24 hours and then, you know, and then they're going to move on to the next one. So I want it to be as fresh as possible. So I record most of it the morning of. So it means getting up relatively early, you know, not news not news anchor early, not Jason Derusha early. Love Derusha, he's a friend of mine. But uh, you know, not that early, but you know, early for me, early for you know, early for a journalist, so to speak. Early for a print journalist, a, a digital journalist anyway. So but so this this is a little different right now because my wife's out of town. I, I'm I'm home with the three kids and so I finally get them all to bed, seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. They're all in bed, so it's about 10.30 on Thursday night, and I'm like, you know what? I don't know what sort of chaos is going to ensue on uh, on Friday morning um, when I get up and normally would try to do the podcast. You know, sometimes some of them wake up, um, you know, and, and recording a podcast at that hour, usually I'm up before all of them, but if one of them happens to get up, you know, before that, while I'm still recording, my wife will hang out, you know, hang out with them and make sure that you know they're they're taken care of. But that would not happen tomorrow, so I'm, I'm not going to have you know kids with me while I'm trying to record a podcast. So I'm just going to like, okay, I want to record everything Thursday night. I'm just going to finish it up Thursday night after everything's happened, and you know, have it ready to go for the morning. So that's in my head. It's about 10:30. I'm like, okay. So what's going on in the game? So I, I look at, you know, I haven't been, haven't been paying attention much because, again, I've been putting three kids to bed at various, you know, various ages, various stages, various needs going to bed. So I look at his 5-3 Yankees in the ninth inning. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to uh, I'm ready to bury the Twins, ready to, to, you know, to write the season, speak the season obituary, but I got to wait till this game's over. Um, we got to see what happens in the ninth inning just to, just to be sure. Um, you know, don't want to be talking about something that had to totally change it, right? So, you know, I, I turn the TV on. There's two outs in the top of the ninth. I watch, you know, Hansel Robles gets the last out. Okay, here we go. Bottom of the ninth. Not expecting much. You know, Raulis Chapman, who's, you know, a, one of the more dominant closers, at least historically, comes in. Jorge Polanco, top of the order. 
gets a base hit. So I'm like, okay, well, at least, you know, tying run, coming to the plate. Uh, my, my interest is, is peaked a little bit more. Josh Donaldson comes up. Josh Donaldson, who is tormented on Wednesday, um, you know, essentially, you know, in this big showdown with Garrett Cole, ends up, you know, striking out twice after calling out Garrett Cole for cheating. Josh Donaldson comes up, having a miserable series. And I'm thinking, all these Twins fans in attendance who sat through miserable heat. Um, it's, it's been so hot, so humid. I know we're excited to be back at baseball games. I know that you know any game that we get to go to right now is is a high point in our lives, but it was a hot, hot night. And you're going to sit out there for more than three hours, probably watching another loss to the Yankees. Probably going to watch a sweep against the Yankees, a last-place team in the American Central, American League Central. So anyway, that, that's what's going through my mind as Josh Donaldson comes to the plate. Donaldson absolutely crushes a ball into the seats. 5-5, tie ball game. I'm like, okay, okay, here we go. Interesting, I'm intrigued. Williams Asadio comes up next. Smashes a base hit. Okay, tying a you know, winning run on base now. Okay, what's, what's going to happen next? Nelson Cruz comes up. Another fastball. It's basically right. Chapman's just pumping fastballs right down the middle. Um, sweating, by the way, like me ordering the hottest possible Indian food. Um, that's that's how my neck looks when when I order the. When, I can't help myself, but I, when I order the hot Indian food, that's what my neck looks like. He is just sweating buckets. Does not seem to be enjoying himself on the hot, humid Target Field night. Grooves another one, 98 miles an hour, but you know right where Nelson Cruz likes it. I've been critical of Nelson Cruz, thinking he hasn't been able to catch up to the fastball lately. He caught up to that one, um, you guys. Crushes another home run, no doubter, just like Donaldson. Suddenly, 7-5, walk-off win for the Twins. And, you know, big picture, grand scheme of things, probably doesn't mean much, right? They're 25-37. and They're still like 13 games back of the White Sox. The season is still going nowhere by and large. But, you can still, like I've talked about on the show, find these little moments of joy in in a season. Even in even in the, even in the darkest moments, that was probably worth it to anyone, certainly who was at the game. Uh, but anybody who you know, anybody even who has a glimmer of hope for this team, saw that and was like, okay, that made me feel good. You combine that with Byron Buxton hitting two home runs for the Saints in his rehab game. You're thinking, okay, here comes the cavalry. Maybe, probably. 99.99% probably way too late for anything great to happen this season. But you know what? When you look back in the history and the, the the story of this season, even in a lost season, there are some moments along the way that are pretty, pretty nice, and that was one of them on Thursday night. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Really happy to have Lavelle E. Neal III join Daily Delivery today, columnist for the Star Tribune, longtime Twins writer. Lavelle, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. A um, lot of stuff I want to get to with you. I think right off the bat, I want to get to your take on the whole Josh Donaldson, Garrett Cole, they finally got to face each other Wednesday after 
all of the buildup that definitely went Garrett Cole's way, struck him out the first two times, got him out the last time he faced him too. But just this whole idea of cheating in baseball, uh, players calling other players out now, which didn't seem like it used to happen before. What are your thoughts on this kind of evolving situation, as it, especially as it impacts the Twins? Well, you know, I, I think the hitters are, are frustrated because of the low batting averages and not having success and the strikeouts are, are, are increasing. Um, and a lot of that's been going on going on in the, in the league for the last few years. And um, they decided to strike back. And Donaldson has been complaining about this stuff. Uh, um, going back to last year, he had a rant in Chicago about uh, umpires and, and how they need to be held accountable for how they're calling balls and strikes, you know. So, um, you know, here's apparently been grumbling. Now, you know, I've covered Twins pitchers who have put rosin on their hats to help them grip the ball better. So that's been going on for a long time. And everybody looked the other way because they figured that, okay, uh, if he's holding on to the ball better, then that decreases the chance of me getting hit in the head. Uh, but, you know, apparently some pitchers have uh, have taken advantage of this and, uh, and taken it to another level. And now hitters are balking and the league has been forced to act. Um, and at the, at the, in the middle of this is a spider tack substance that right. was made by a, a, a strongman comp competitor who uh, just wanted to, um, uh, figure out a way to hold on to those ridiculous 200 pound uh, balls of metal that they have to pick up and carry, you know, uh, it was just wacky. Well, I know all about holding 200 pounds, Lavelle. That's definitely, that, that's definitely what I do. That's, these right. Days. That's, that's right. So, uh, they, uh, uh, it worked for them, but I don't know who in baseball, uh, determined that it could work for pitchers because it, apparently it's become the rage. Um, you know, and so Donaldson had a nice, you know, the thing is, Two, three weeks ago, Donaldson complained on Twitter right. uh, uh, about, I've got video proof that pitchers are cheating. I'm going to release it soon. And I put in a request to uh, the to say, that, can we talk to Donaldson? He was like, well, he doesn't want to talk about it in the media. And I'm like, well, he's opened up this door now. He might as well walk through it. And this is his opportunity to take advantage of a platform he could have to, to, to express his concern. So I, I'm glad he finally spoke up last week. Um Garrett Cole really dumped kerosene on the fire when he didn't when he pretty much couldn't answer a yes or no question <laughs> right a, a couple of days ago. So this is all building up. It's been like a prize fight that was building up, and the fight itself ended up being anticlimactic because, uh, as we saw yesterday, Cole dispatched uh, Donaldson rather easily. Uh, and Donaldson, by the way, has added twenty points to his batting average in the last couple of weeks, so he had been hitting better coming into the series. But Cole had none of that. Uh, on Wednesday as uh, he was masterful, uh, although his spin rates were below his season average. Big surprise, but he was still able. It was still good enough to defeat the Twins. Now, how much do, I mean, How much do you think baseball will crack down on this and how much of a problem do you think this is? Because I, I found it interesting. I did a little looking and, you know, they the, what the, the they said they were going to do the crackdown about a week ago. And in the last week or so, Major League averages are about 10 points higher than they were at the start of the year. Now, some of that could just be weather warms up. Players are starting to you know, get their timing down, things like that. But how much of this do you think is really being driven by pitchers using this, you know, substances beyond just the stuff that gives you command? Well, Mike Schilt, the manager of the Cardinals called the baseball's dirty little secret. So, right. He pretty much said it was, he pretty much said it was widespread and, and Rocco, Rocco Baldelli did not dispute that when he was asked about it, that, have pitchers used some things to help them hold on to the ball? I'm sure everybody's using something. 
That's basically what he said. So, yeah, they have been cheating. So the fact that the threat that a pitcher is going to get checked now and disciplined for having substances, I think I think it led to, uh, led to a league-wide uh, cessation of using those substances. So maybe we're going to see uh, offense tick up here over for the rest of the season. Uh, I, that's, that's my thing. It's like everybody's going to speed until uh, the cop actually shows up on highway, you know? Uh, so the cops on the highway now, so everybody's going to start minding their P's and Q's. You don't hear about scandals like this, cheating, especially in a lot of other sports. You maybe get some of it in football, you know, spy gate, deflate gate, things like that. All of them uh, involving the Patriots, by the way. But, uh, you know, I don't, when was the last time you heard about like a, a cheating scandal in basketball, like an on-court issue or even hockey? Like you don't, you don't even really, you don't hear about, players trying to gain this kind of competitive edge in, in sports like that necessarily why is this why is this part of seemingly baseball culture going back to spitballs and steroids and banging on pots and pans and garbage cans and now this i don't know how you could cheat in basketball unless you have like some uh some sort of uh device that allows you to get six or eight inches of vertical leap, uh, <laughs> right. to, to help you dunk or score over people um the only the only controversy I ever heard in hockey is when goaltenders were like too big with their sweaters and they were like the pads were too big. Yeah. Yeah. The pads were so big that they were, they were taking up the entire goal. That's the last time I heard about a crackdown like that. Um, uh, football. Well, you know, you, you had the new England Patriots. So there's right. always a possibility for shenanigans with them as far as deflate gate and using video to their, uh, to their advantage and things like that. So um no, baseball is rather unique because there's always been that um, it always been you always wondered, you know, who, who's cutting corners, who's getting away at what, whether you're corking bats or you've got a nail file in your pocket like, you know, Joe Negro. Um, it's funny, though, when the hitter's cheating, it's like shame on you. But when the pitcher was cheating, it was always hilarious. Like everybody thought Gaylord Perry was like a sideshow because, you know, it was like, where is he hiding the Vaseline now? Where is he hiding? The substance now is almost funny with the pitcher, but terrible if the hitter was cheating. Um, so um, that's what makes baseball. I guess that's one another reason that makes baseball rather unique. Uh, the potential for subterfuge. You think this is a countermeasure from pitchers? I, I kind of wondered that, you know, because obviously the sign stealing stuff, but was the most recent of the you know elevated scandals in the Astros in particular. That's you know all benefiting the hitters. Do you think this was pitchers saying, well, here, here's how we're going to get even? I think so. Uh, the other part, though, I, I thought the adjustment was coming. Um, because of the launch angle generation, pitchers have discovered that they can get away with pitches up in the strike zone. You're seeing more pitchers pitch up because uh, they're getting over the top of that uppercut swing. And, and, and I, I thought that was an adjustment, adjustment that pitchers were making in recent years. So Jake Odorizzi, when he was with the Twins, you know, only threw like 93, 94 miles an hour, but he, he threw his fastball up in his own like he was Nolan Ryan, and he, he was able to kind of neutralize hitters that way. So I, I thought there was an adjustment going on, and pitchers should be happy that hitters, hitters aren't adjusting to that. Um, they should be happy that hitters refuse to adjust to the shift. I mean, there's a hit, base hit sitting out in, to the opposite field for left-handed hitters if they just tap the ball to the left side of the field. Once a week, that's all you can. That's all you need. Once a week, that's 24 more hits a year. Um, but but they won't do it. So, um, like I said, I thought pitchers were, were, were finding a way to be more effective against hitters. So, because the, the, the last thing we do, we don't want baseball to do anything crazy like lower the mound even more or m make bases farther away from first base or something. You know, 
the 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 hitters should find a legal way and pitchers should find a legal way to make adjustments to how they're being pitched or how how they're being hit. I agree. Um, moving on to something else you're writing about, which is interesting to me. You got a column, I believe, coming out in Sunday's paper on you know fan behavior. We saw some really ugly incidents in the NBA in particular in the last week or two. It's not necessarily a new thing because we've seen it in sports, but as fans return to you know stadiums, ballparks, whatnot, we're seeing this creep up again. We're seeing, you know, probably fans who are overzealous. They they, you know, they're they're excited to be back in ballparks and stadiums for the first time and arenas for the first time in a year, things like that. But Give me an overview of what you're writing and, 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 you know, athletes you've talked to about this, what are they saying about it? Yeah. You know, um, the, the thing is that, um, having covered baseball for as long as I have and having been able to travel this great country and be in these stadiums, I've seen, uh, jackass fan behavior, you know, at, sure. at first, um, and, and baseball players have gone through a lot of what the NBA players are hearing and experiencing now having stuff thrown at them or have, having abusive language thrown their way. Um, and so I just talked with Joe Maurer and I probably talked to a couple other people about this, just about uh, their experiences dealing with fans and stands. And Maurer's like, when you go to some of these cities like Oakland or New York or Boston, you know what to expect. You know what's going to happen and you just got to be mentally prepared for it. So, um, you know, should Russell Westbrook, Westbrook react the way he did for having popcorn dumped on him? I'd be pissed off too. Um, and I would demand that that fan be thrown out of the stands. I'll give credit to officials in, uh, let's see, it was um, it was New York, Philadelphia, and Utah, I want to say. That yeah, they might have been Boston fans. too. I can't remember. Boston I too. I give credit for those people who are running those arenas because they, they have already announced that those fans would not be allowed to attend sporting events there. So they, they, the fans need to be held accountable. It's tougher in baseball because someone could throw something from the second deck and get away with it, you know, especially in Yankee Stadium. Um, but, uh, you know, Mars says there's no place for this, that type of behavior. And, and he's right. Um, you know, uh, taunting, catcalls, yeah, booing, of course. But, you know, when you, when you find out that the player's parents are sitting in the stands, you start dropping F-bombs on them. I think that's crossing the line, you know. So, um, you know, maybe, like I said, maybe – it's part of getting back into arenas after being away for so long and maybe we just, just needs to die down. Uh, but uh, you know, it makes, it makes fans and spectators look bad when you have a few in each arena who, who are acting this way. So, um, so I talked to Joe Maurer about that a little bit and I'm going to address it in Sunday's paper. Yeah. And it's, you know, at a certain point it goes from, you know, being, abusive to being you know dangerous you know we've seen incidents before you know where it's not just you know it doesn't just get verbal you know obviously the area remembers the, the what happened in detroit the nba a long time ago where we've seen you know ugly incidents i think the with the white Sox, there was some fans that get on got on the field at a certain point like the, these things as they escalate and as fans become emboldened to a certain degree they can go from you know abusive which is serious to even more so which is dangerous to to the you know to the well-being of an athlete i remember uh i remember um the twins were in montreal the only time they were ever in montreal for interleague play which means that this was a long time ago yeah and it was after a game and there was a controversial call oh they gave it i can't remember which twins player they gave a twins player a home run on a ball that looked like it was foul okay down the line down the left field line it looked like it hooked 
outside the pole, but the umpire rule that was inside. And the Expo fans were just furious. So we're waiting for the Twins clubhouse to open after the game. And we're standing there with a security guard. And all of a sudden, on the security guard's uh, walkie-talkie, someone is screaming, a fan has just gotten into the umpire's room. <laughs> so, Oh, man. We all just left the Twins clubhouse opening and raced down to the umpire's room <laughs> to witness this and chronicle it, you know, to ride by wherever we could see. But by then, someone had got security had gotten in there and gotten the fan out before uh, he could do any damage. But, uh, of course, the fan was upset about the call and wanted to go after the umpire who uh, who made that decision. So um, that's definitely crossing the line. And uh, that also speaks of the lack of security that was going on in Montreal at the time. If the fan's able to get onto the field, down the tunnel, and into the umpire's dressing room uh, to, to confront um, – an umpire. It also means that it may be an inside job if the fan knew where to go as well. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know what umpire's dressing room is in all these games. So, uh, well, yeah, that's that's the that was the most potentially scary thing I, I've uh, experienced uh, while on the beat. But uh, you know, fans can have good times at games. I, there's a there's a group of kids in left field at Target Field. And I give them credit because they come up with inventive ways to have fun at the other team's expense. Like whoever left fielder is. Uh, these certain groups of guys show out, they start following him around. Like when he's moving, when he's shifting in the outfield, they just start chanting left, right, left, right, <laughs> left, right. And he stops. And then in between pitches, he may move forward. You go forward, backward, right, left, right, left. <laughs> and they're all chanting whenever the, the outfielder takes a step. Now that's funny. And that's inventive, you know, but um, you know, saying things about people's parents, you know, that's uncalled for. Uh, we're supposed to have fun at these games and be passionate about our teams. We're not supposed to use it as a way to uh, create mayhem or to be verbally abusive. Absolutely. I mean, I used to do, you know, my fair share of creative heckling back in the day, but it was always hopefully above board. But yeah, I was, I was in the, you know, I was in the stands for the game, the Chuck Knobloch game. We always kind of laugh about that now, but that was, you know, that was getting pretty ugly out there in, in the dome. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, tell a group of fans who you know have are working up to a certain point okay this is the line don't cross this line because there's always somebody in that mix who might be willing to cross the line well i remember that game tom kelly had to walk out to left field he did and and, and ask the fans to stop throwing things at, at chuck knoblock you know he had knoblock his hand was around knoblock's waist as he walked out there to <laughs> to say stop this just cut it out uh i guess it kind of so and then bob casey of course yeah, uh, said that we could lose the game by forfeit if you. <laughs> he was like, "Now quit this." He called it a championship game. I remember this that. is a championship game. Now quit this. <laughs> <laughs> and we and oh. we can and we can laugh about it now because it was hot dogs mostly. There was some batteries being thrown, but that's still like you know, if you're a player, that's got to be really scary, right? Like I would not like to be out there in that situation. No, not at all. I wouldn't either, man. Um, so um, more power to. Uh, for players to be able to deal with some of those, those things and fans that run on the field. And I, I think a fan ran on the field one time in Chicago was, was going after Tor, Tory Hunter, but security got to the guy first and Tory after the game was like, I had no problem with him coming out there. It would have been a free butt whooping. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something Tory would say. <laughs> yes. I remember that, but you don't want to see that though. You know? Um, so yeah, it, it, I, I, you know, I've seen it in a lot of stands across the league, uh, 
when that stuff happened. Uh, and I just saw it Sunday in the USA Mexico game with two yeah. fans on the field during the second half. They had to get tackled. It was just that was just a crazy game. Uh, but um, like I said, you know, let's just be happy that we're back in stadiums and arenas. I was just back on the field before a Twins game on Tuesday for the first time since the 2019 playoffs. Wow. So, uh, I, I was just thrilled to be back in that situation again. So let's just be happy that we're back and, and cheer for our teams and stop looking for opportunities to be a jackass. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that's good advice in any realm. Uh, Lavelle, anything else you're coming up writing with? Anything you're watching right now? Um, uh, hopefully sometime next week I get over to St. Paul and uh, interview Yon Duran, the Twins' uh, top uh, the starting pitching prospect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Interesting story with him, not not just because he's a good prospect, but he was also determined a couple of years ago to get his high school diploma, and uh, which meant a lot to him and his family. So I was going to talk to him about that because a lot of these, a lot of twins, you know, Latin American players, they sign a contract and they're like, "That's it, I'm just going to be a professional player." Like you know, like guys like Jorge Polanco never got a high school diploma because he signed at 16 and he went and became a pro and became a pro baseball player. But the twins have a program now for. Uh, for Latin American, uh, for the Latin American players to get diplomas if they want, because just in case baseball doesn't work out, at least they have a high school diploma, you know. So, uh, I was going to discuss that with uh, with Duran when I see him next week. That sounds an interesting story and a good good prospect for them too. They could use an injection of pitching talent because I got to say, you know, some of these guys they've brought up don't quite seem ready yet. They they don't they don't quite have the arm talent that, that someone like Duran has. I know. Um, I predicted when I have to do the stupid uh, two predictions every week that have blown up in my face consistently. I <laughs> predicted Duran Duran would be called up uh, by July fourth. Uh, yeah, before the All Star break. For the All Star break, I said Duran will make his Twins debut. What? Because he's he threw eighty two pitches two outings ago. I didn't see how many he threw this week uh, when he started, but uh, I, I think he's on that path to make his uh, target field debut. I also want to see. I want to see more of Bailey Ober. He's not a hard thrower, but he, he's got some movement on his pitches and it looks like he's not afraid to throw strikes, which is encouraging. And he works fast, which is very encouraging. Um, that's another column that maybe I may have to unfurl here before the season's over. It's not about instant replay. That's slowing games down. It's to players. Oh, I, yeah. I timed Michael Pineda on Tuesday. He was taking 22 seconds between pitches with no men, no, no one on base. 22 seconds. That's ex- unacceptable. Over. Yeah, he's, Ober is firing the ball back after 12 seconds. That's Love it. That, we need more Bailey Obers in baseball. These guys that come up, these guys that come up from the minors, they're used to working fast too. I don't know if it's the pitch clock, if it's just the pace they play in the minors, but minor league games move so much faster than major league games right now. It's unbelievable. Well, we have a, we have a mutual friend whose son used to work for uh, a, minor, a minor league affiliate of a certain American League East team. And uh-huh. studies they, that team did suggested that the longer the pitchers took between pitches, the better off they would be. They would gain that just extra right. percentage of recovery that could possibly help them execute the next pitch. So they were all taught to be as slow as possible in delivering the ball. So it starts there with the geeks. It starts with the geeks. Blame it all on the geeks. Yes. And computers and, and slide rules or whatever they're using, advocacies to try to build a better baseball player while making the game worse off. I think it's more than that, Lavelle, but we'll, I'll take your word for it. Well, <laughs> good stuff. Look for Lavelle's column, uh, Sunday's paper on fan behavior. Looking forward to read that and other stuff next week as well. Lavelle, thanks for joining Daily Delivery, and we'll do this again soon. Thanks for having me.
Now, normally when you hear that sound, it's because I feel like a trade machine. I've got a trade swirling in my head. And I've been thinking about Daniil Hunter and the Vikings lately. We talked about this on the Axis Vikings podcast. Um, sure seems like he's headed for a holdout, maybe is the right word. He's, he's, you know, he's not at OTAs right now. Unsure if you're going to see him at minicamp next week. Basically wants a new contract, but he's got no leverage. He's got three years left on his deal. Probably signed too much of a team-friendly deal back in the day, but three years left on his deal coming off a neck injury. I'm trying to think. Like, the simplest solution is just to trade Daniil Hunter if he's not happy here, if he wants new money, get him to some other team. But you're selling low. He's a he's a guy that's so valuable for you. So as I think about a Daniil Hunter trade, I have to I have to just stop myself and say, you know what? No, you got to let this situation play out. This is not Aaron Rodgers going nuclear. This is not a guy who's, you know, at the end of his career wanting, you know, wanting to be wanting to feel like he's still wanted. This is a guy mid-career. They got to figure this out. The the only solution is for them to figure this out whether it's getting him a little bit more money, promising him more down the road, whatever it takes. I think they got to work this out. I don't think the trade is the way to go in this, this situation as much as I do love the idea of trade machines. Let's end with the cooler. I had the temerity to suggest a while back that when the Wild smoked the Avalanche in a game earlier this year, that maybe that was a sign that if they met the Avs in the playoffs, they could do something against them. Well, that never happened. They ended up playing Vegas. Took Vegas to seven games. Not bad. Um, Ended up losing that series. Avs fans still got up in my mentions a lot, even after that series. Went and found me again uh, when Colorado advanced to play Vegas when the Wild was eliminated. Um, so I guess, uh, I guess what I'd say now is we all have something in common, uh, in Minnesota and Colorado, both followers of the avalanche and wild know what it's like now to not be in the playoffs anymore and to be eliminated by Vegas. Colorado loses four straight in that series. The last one, six, three on Thursday night. Avs are out. They're not winning the cup. Vegas advances, um, one step closer to winning the cup. Awfully good team. The golden Knights, Avs series, that was a good series, but Avs got to fix their goaltending. That was the reason I thought the Wild might make them vulnerable, and that was certainly the reason they were vulnerable against Vegas. So see how it goes next year. Better luck next year, Avs fans. That'll do it for today and the week. Thank you so much for joining me on Daily Delivery. Got some good stuff coming up next week. Patrick Royce should be on Monday's show. Claire DeLune, local musician, Lakers fan, NBA fan extraordinaire should be on Tuesday's show. Going to talk a lot of hoops, music. Love to have a, an eclectic mix of guests, and I think she will definitely bring that to the table. I think Ben Gessling will join me next week, too, for some mini camp thoughts. So plenty of good stuff to look forward to next week. Thank you, as always, for listening to Daily Delivery, and we will catch you again on Monday.